How did you, before having kids, feel about childbirth and how do you feel about childbirth now that you've had two kids? I have very conflicting emotions about it because I had a really, really full-on birth with Sammy. I was Mm -hmm. in labour for 56 (gasps) hours. Wow, that is And I was... (laughs) Oh 56 yeah, it was, hours. And it was full-on labouring too, like I was oh vomiting. God. And I'd read all those books by Ina May and everything mm-hmm. yeah. that, you know, they talk about how it can be like this orgasmic, cosmic experience. I'm like, when are the orgasms going to happen? <laughs> Seriously, come on, when, when's the good bit? Yeah, when am I going to feel euphoria? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Welcome to Talking in Common, a podcast of all things lifestyle, family, motherhood, relationships, kids and culture. This is not a how-to, but an insight into the lives of ourselves and others and how we all manage to get by. So take a listen and let's find out what we all have in common. Hello and welcome back. We have a great episode for you today. I'm Kate. And I'm Sophie, and all I have to say today is Missy Higgins! Woohoo! We recently caught up with Missy, and she's just such a legend. She's so lovely. She's not only an Australian music icon, prolific songwriter, multiple ARIA award winner, but she's also a mother of two beautiful children. I also really admire how she uses her voice and platform to bring awareness to human rights issues and also environmental issues. We spoke with her all about the combination of motherhood and creativity, She shared with us how her perspective on things have changed since becoming a mother. She also opens up about her birthing experiences, particularly her very long labour with her firstborn. Oh my God. As well as how she's managed to find inspiration during the crazy Melbourne lockdown for her new music. She was so lovely to chat to and we can't wait to share it. Here she is. Missy, welcome to Talking in Common. We are so excited to chat with you today. Thank you. It's good to be here. Got lots that we want to delve into. I'm assuming, like us, you are squeezing in our chat while your youngest, Luna, is napping. She has massive naps during the day for some reason. She sleeps about three hours. Amazing. Which is probably why she doesn't sleep at night. (laughs) But um, Can't have it all. It's a blissful little... You can't have it all. No, I'm grateful. And Sammy's just started kinder again, so it's very nice to have some time. One question we always like to ask our guests on Talking in Common is what did you want to be growing up? Growing up, I wanted to be an architect at one stage for some random Hmm. reason and then I wanted to be a vet, which was for obvious reasons, I guess, every young prepubescent girl wants to just spend their days looking after puppies, puppies yeah. And, <laughs> yeah and rabbits and sick sick birds but I later on found out you had to get a score of above 99 or something to become a vet and that soon went out the window but yeah I think I wanted to be a singer well I wanted to be a writer and a singer so I didn't think that I'd ever make money singing but I definitely wanted to do that when I grew up I wanted to sing jazz like my brother I think what I thought that I would do is sing in a covers band and that was fine because I just loved performing and I loved singing and I hadn't written any songs at that stage so that was that was as big as the dream got. So tell us more about your introduction to music and what role it played in your teenage years. Well music was definitely a way of processing the world around me. It was my escape, my catharsis, it was the thing that I used to understand 
the world around me. I mean, I went to boarding school from the age from year eight, which I think is 13 or something. Mm-hmm. 14, 12, yeah. 13. So every chance I got, I'd just sit in a dorm with my guitar or find a piano in a room somewhere and bash away on that. And I guess it was my equivalent of writing in a diary, you know. I'd just, all my songs from that age are just, um, yeah, they're just so full of angst and and questions and pain and, you know, why do you do this to me? And (laughs) just all friendship dramas really and, you know, love dramas and that kind of thing. Well, they're the most important things as a teenager. So I think that's how you do figure out who you are, which is really hard because everyone else around you is, you know, extremely unstable and hormonal. (laughs) And so, you know, you're trying to gauge yeah, your own place in the mm, world. Absolutely. And, it is a crazy time in and... our lives, isn't it? Yeah. Looking oh, back to that God, period. I'm so glad to be oh. through that. I'm dreading my kids going through that, not because of, you know, their, what their behaviour will be, just because I'm dreading seeing the pain in their faces, yeah. you know, when they when they come home from school and they've just had such a hard time navigating their way socially mm. and, you know, you, you have no ability to, to see the bigger picture. So you mentioned that your brother's mm. musical and you have a sister as well. Is that right? Yeah, I do. Is she yeah. musical N- at all? Nicola. She's really musical, but she's always been very, very shy at performing. Okay. So she used to she used to sing in a rock band at school, but she always used to have a cap on her head oh, yeah. and with the front pulled down really low. She'd hide so behind no one it. Could see her face. I think mm. I read, Missy, that your sister entered your song All for Believing into Triple J's Unearth competition, which it ended yeah. up winning. Did you know she was going to do that? Yeah. So I was in year 12 at the time and she was going out with a dude who was in a rock band and she just kind of said, oh, Matt wants to enter your, you know, he wants us to enter your song into this competition that's called Triple J Unearth. And I'd never heard mm. of it. And I was like, okay, yeah, well, sure. And so I sent a cassette with my song on it. So cool. To them and they sent it off. And cassette, by the way. Love yeah. That. <laughs> oh, it's totally a cassette, yeah. I think Triple J still have it. It's in their vault or something and it's got my, my parents' home phone number on it. And then I got a call a few months later from Triple J and she was like, are you sitting down? We've got some news for you. And she told me and I had no idea what she was talking about and I had no idea, well, I definitely had no idea how big a deal it was and that it would make my life pivot off in a totally new direction. So you seem to have made choices in your life um, and in your early career around taking time for yourself to travel and experience and explore life. How important was this for you? Yeah, I think... Definitely through my 20s, it was really important. I mean, obviously, yeah, my teens and my my 20s, I had a lot to explore. It's Music and songwriting has really been a tool for understanding the world around me and Mm. for processing things that I've been struggling with. I think since having kids, I've struggled a lot less with my kind of inner turmoil and I'm much less interested in myself Mm, um obviously I'm not really going to be writing any more breakup songs or (laughs) you know those those songs well hopefully not yeah breakup songs or songs from that point in your relationship that where you just got together and you're just flooded with dopamine Mm. and you know I listen to the radio now and I'm like 90% of these songs are written from the first few months of a relationship that's so true isn't it um (laughs) 
Yeah, it re- it really is. And I'm like, ah, oh, just can't relate to that anymore. <laughs> but the truth is that no one really wants to write songs about having been married for 10 years because, I mean, it's fine and it's great, but you're not flooded with these amazing hormones that are overwhelming you and you know, you don't find yourself just really wanting to sing to the world about it. I think when I had kids, I was feeling all of those emotions too. But then you're so consumed with this little thing physically and mentally that, well, there's no time. And there's also, I don't know, I just find that I don't feel the need to kind of process it or or express it as much I've written a few songs about my kids and and in moments where I was just feeling so overwhelmed with love and an emotion that I was struggling with for example you know this overwhelming feeling of responsibility that I now had and this fear that oh my god I've, I've taken on such a huge responsibility by having a child and I now have this little thing in my life that, you know, if something were to happen to it, it would ruin me, mm. Yeah, you know, so it feels like I've now brought this thing into my life that could potentially ruin everything. <laughs> it's like the best thing but also potentially like. So many anxieties worst, that come with something it. That could, yeah, so many anxieties. It's like a roller coaster. Mm. Something I really, I guess I personally find quite challenging is being able to juggle my time with being a present mother to my two kids as well as finding you know the space for me to be creative and and just do things for myself how have you sort of found creativity since becoming a mum yeah I think I've gone through all of that I mean I've been a parent now for five and a half years and I think I've gone through stages where yeah I did feel super inspired I mean I feel really inspired when I don't have my kids around and I have time to play my instruments it's just that that doesn't happen very often (laughs) but at the same time I've had periods where I'm like I don't want to be taken away by my creativity I don't want to be taken away from being in the moment with my kids because don't want to miss out I do find it yeah I find it very all-consuming and I find it hard to just dip in and out in the past I've always just you know before kids I would completely be consumed by it and I'd I'd go traveling for months and months and months and write in I've never been the one place at the one for for longer than a week or two, and um, all this stuff that I I can't really do right now. So mm. I find it really hard to go in and out. But I do feel like I'm also right in the thick of it at the moment with young kids, and I really feel like when once they're both off at school and I've suddenly got nothing to do during the day. <laughs> I'm very, very excited about <laughs> getting stuck into songwriting and and producing and, and just experimenting with music mm. again. So you've got two beautiful kids, Sammy who's five and Luna who is two, I believe. Was becoming mm-hmm. a mum and starting a family of your own always part of your plan? I really didn't feel that excited about having kids. Mm all through my 20s, I don't think. I think in the back of my head I'd always thought, oh, probably one day, you know, married and kids. But then my sister had a baby and everything changed. I looked at this little boy and I was mm. like, oh, my God. This It was the first time I'd ever experienced a baby in your family or a baby a little of kid that was, your own blood. Yeah, yeah, a little baby that was related to me. I was like, 
I'm its auntie. It's different. It's such a different feeling, isn't it, when when it is a family member or it's your own baby. It's like, oh, obviously, but yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, I guess it is obvious thinking about it, but back then I just it really took me by surprise and and not that long after I was like, oh my god, the love <laughs> that I feel for this little kid. Imagine how much I would feel for my own kid and yeah, my ovaries just kicked into overdrive. Funny how that happens. You just all of a sudden know you want a child and then you just want to have them right now. You want to be pregnant. You want to have the baby. Mm. So it's an overwhelming feeling, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, You just have no control over and it. And did you and your partner plan to have kids when you first met each other? Was that part of your plan together? Well, Dan thought that it was hilarious because literally in the I think we'd been dating for like a week or two at the time. Mm. But I just sat him down. I was like, look, I've read this article in this women's magazine and apparently there's guys out there at the moment who will just date a woman for years pretending that they want kids and then at the last minute when it comes time to, you know, baby making, um, the guy says, oh, actually, no, I don't really want kids. And then she's like, but my ovaries. (laughs) And um, It seriously happens though. I hear so many stories like that. Yeah. I know, I know. I keep telling my girlfriends, just make sure if you want a kid, if Mm. you really want a kid, just make sure that they do as well. Like have the conversation and have it Mm. early. God, if they lie, that's just... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, you can't control that. You've so, made a yeah. very bad decision. No. <laughs> At least you didn't run for the hills, Missy, when you first mentioned it a week in. That was, you know, that was know. a great well, sign. Well, it's a test, yeah, isn't it? exactly. So how did you, before having kids, feel about childbirth and how do you feel about childbirth now that you've had two kids? Well, I still have such mixed emotions about birth and, and I have very conflicting emotions about it because I had a really, really full-on birth with Sammy. I was mm-hmm. in labour for 56 <gasps> hours. Wow, that is And crazy. I was <laughs> 56 yeah, it was, hours. And it was full-on labouring too. Like I was oh vomiting God. and like just in just the most <laughs> intense amount of pain. I was like, and I'd read all those books by Ina May and everything mm-hmm. yeah. that, you know, they talk about how it can be like this orgasmic, cosmic experience. And yeah. I'm like, when are the orgasms <laughs> yeah, Seriously, come on, when, when, when's the good bit? Like, when am I, yeah, when am I going to feel euphoria? <laughs> yeah. and, the I best high I've so ever felt in my bad. entire life. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, did not happen to me. These are not baby-making hips. <laughs> and I was with a doula and she was, you know, she'd kind of put me in the bath every now and then to to slow down the contractions and I'd, I'd be having these kind of micro sleeps, you know, for 30 seconds before mm-hmm. the next okay. contraction came and because I wasn't sleeping and so my husband had to go to sleep. So dad would come over and he'd do a shift and then he'd go home and have a sleep and then, you know, so all these people were kind of looking after me. I was just on my bouncy ball <laughs> during at the table just groaning mm. into a pillow. I ended up going to the hospital uh, the I don't know the fifty hour mark or something and and they were like oh my god your body is in a very bad state mm. and there was no way it was gonna let me give birth because I had like my ketones were through the roof right. and I had nothing left to give so they put me on a drip and the obstetrician said I I know you don't want to have an epidural so I'll I'm gonna go away for four or five hours and I'll come back and I'll see how much you've mm-hmm. progressed because I was still at one to two centimetres or something. Oh, no. Oh, my God. Um, After 30 yeah. hours or more. Yeah, after that long. <gasps> 50, I was so it? disheartened 50 to hours? hear that. Were you yeah. at 50 hours by this point? Yeah. 
That's yeah, yeah, that's crazy. yeah. So it was basically the baby was stuck, and so I just like me and the doula for the next four hours. Like I just can't even tell you the pain. I mean, I'm sure you guys know, but um, like I was on <laughs> no, all you fours. Can't describe it, can you? Yeah, and I was on all fours, and I was doing this twisty thing that's supposed to get the baby's head down the canal, and she was looking at my back, and she was like, "Whoa, I can see your bones shifting, wow, like your, wow. you know, this baby is seriously doing things to my mm. body." And um, he came back after four or five hours, and I think I'd progressed one centimeter. Oh, God, see. And I was like, "Oh." I- Oh, God. I'd, and then I just said, all right, we'll, we'll do the epidural. The doula said, I I really think you need to for your own safety. Yeah, right. So I had an epidural and he's like, I'm going to go home now for a rest. It takes quite a while. So I'll come back in five hours or so and see how how you're going. And they, my water broke kind of as they were putting the epidural in. Oh. And then the doctor left. And 20 minutes later, I was like, oh, I'm feeling a lot of pressure down there. <laughs> And the nurse came in and she's like, oh, that's normal. That's just the epidural working. And then she went away and we got told that we could go to sleep because it would be a long time before it came. And then I was like, 20 minutes later, I was like, I'm really feeling pressure down there. <laughs> he <laughs> so was ready. He was ready. She's like, yeah. She's like, you've said that a few times now, so I'm just going to check just, you know, on the off chance. And she checked. She's like, whoa, yep, that's the baby's wow. head. <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. You just... So the doctor had already gone home and then and so we basically just yeah just had the had the baby right there and then like 20 minutes after the epidural which was crazy. Mm. So either they had said the wrong thing about how far I'd progressed yeah. or it was something to do with the epidural that just loosened yeah, and encouraged me and it to just, come on. It, so then he was out into the world and we were just oh god the exhaustion was yeah. just crazy. Mm. But as you know you've got these hormones going through your body too mm. like you've just done the most amazing thing mm. that humans can do. So, And then for my second birth for Luna, I had diabetes mm-hmm. and she was a big baby, so they suggested a induction. Yep. So I did that and then it was just the pain was just out of this world, so I just asked for an epidural. Yeah, yep. I wanted not to, but then... Dan came into the room and I overheard him saying, so, you know, if he if she wants an epidural, like, I was like, epidural, <laughs> fuck, you shouldn't have said that yeah. word. Okay, yes, no, that's in my head. Give okay, it to me. Yep, no, give it to me, give it to me now. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't you train him beforehand? You know, don't mention the word. You've got to be the protector the time, of my but, space. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I, I had the first time, but the second time I was, yeah, I was heaps more relaxed. Yeah. Even though for other women I'm like, just fucking get the drugs. Who cares? Mm. I mean, the only thing that matters is that you have a healthy baby. Mm. I mean, get it cut out, for God's sake, any way that you feel like it. And literally the only thing that should matter is the baby's mm. okay. And the mum, of course. But there's this crazy expectation on the mum, yeah. <laughs> but there's this crazy expectation of like that we should fight the pain of childbirth and be able to do it drug-free. Mm. Whereas I'm like, if I've got a headache, I'll take a Panadol. I mean, I wouldn't hesitate to take painkillers in any other situation. Yeah. yeah. We do put a lot of pressure um, on ourselves, I think, for childbirth and how, how it has to be and how it should be. Oh, and I know so many people who've fallen into a really deep depression after childbirth because it didn't go the way that they'd planned. Yeah. You know, yeah. they have a birth plan, which I did, and it can literally 
never go to plan unless you just happen to be lucky mm. because you have no control over it. Well, you have little control, but if something goes wrong, it goes wrong and that's not your fault. Mm. And so many women just blame themselves. And, yeah, it's I, I find it really hard to get those mixed feelings clear in my mm. head because I have different standards for everyone else to what I have for myself. No, it's a good mm. point that you make because um, there's so much conflicting information out there at the moment. It's really difficult from women who are first-time bums to, you know, navigate their way through all of that and make a decision that's right for them. But like you say, you know, the the feeling of failing yourself or something afterwards if it didn't go the way that you expected it to, which let's be honest, a lot of the time it doesn't, just puts way too much pressure on on us as women. Yeah, and I think to have the same standards or the same rules for everyone, it doesn't make sense either. Even because the epiduralist, when he came to me and I was just talking to him about it as he was injecting my spine and um, I was saying something about I kind of I really wanted to do it without but I, you know, felt like I'd given in and he said he sees women like that all the time that are so disappointed in Mm. themselves but what most women don't realise is that the pain variation is massive between yeah, women. Yeah, that's so true. Everyone handles pain so differently. Yeah, and I've got really, really narrow hips and all the women in my family have had to have caesareans because they just, we just, these hips don't fit babies <laughs> out. I've got a friend, really good friend of mine who just had a baby and she's got these wide, beautiful baby making <laughs> hips and she just had the most beautiful birthing experience and all the women in her family have just like slipped babies out in like an mm. hour that sounds like, so oh, amazing <laughs> I did not slip any babies out in an hour <laughs> no I feel like that they're the kind of people who talk about the euphoric experience because you just have enough pain to just build up a bit of I mean it's still full-on pain but it doesn't go on for so long that it wears you down mm. you know Back to that transition period of going from, you know, an individual to becoming a mother because I definitely think that is something that we do not talk about enough. Mm. When you have a baby, Mm. everyone is really fixated and focused on how's the baby going, how's the baby sleeping, feeding, how was your birth? But not many people sort of tend to ask about how the mother is going. And um, you have spoken before about your struggle with postnatal depression at what point did you realise, you know, what was going on? Yeah, I mean, I I didn't have postnatal depression very badly, I have to say, up front. I mean, I, I definitely experienced that drop in hormones, yeah. but I was lucky that my dad being a doctor, he was really looking out for me because of my history with depression and yeah. he worded me up about it big time. Yeah. It's like, you know, at this point your hormones are going to drop and you're going to feel awful and blah, blah, blah and and it's going to be hard to bond with your baby. And so I was really prepared and I think that's what got me through. So I, I experienced the depression but it didn't last as long as I think it would have if I didn't know anything Mm. about it and you know I I knew that it was going to pass and that's I think that's the thing that really helps you get through it the second birth I didn't experience it at all I actually had placenta tablets the second birth and I don't know if that's what helped Mm. but it, it was amazing I think a lot of people say that it's not as bad the second time because you're so prepared and it's not so much of a shock Mm -hmm. yeah like your entire world isn't flipped upside down like it is the first time I remember that feeling you know a week after a week or two after giving birth and just looking out the window and going 
am I ever going to get out there again? Like, am I ever going to into the outside world to... of fresh air and sunshine? Yeah. And... It would just seem like this foreign place. I was like, whoa, there's a world out mm. there. Does that mean that I'm, yeah, going to be stuck in here for the rest of my life? And you just, you have no idea that, you know, it won't really won't be that long until you're, your life's mm. back to something resembling normal again. I mean, I remember the first time I even took Sammy to a cafe. I was like, I can go to a cafe. I can still go to cafes. You know, my baby can just sleep in the pram. That's That was just like the best feeling because I could do one thing that made me feel yeah. human again. Yeah. And then it, after that it's just step after step of little things that you get mm. back in your life that make you feel like, oh, okay, I can – I can still be a functioning human mm, in the world. With child. Until they're two or three and then you yeah. probably don't want to take them to a cafe because the fear of them just running around no. like this crazy child. It's exhausting. Oh, my God, yeah, it it's is, not isn't worth it? it. And then occasionally you go to a cafe and they've got a kid's play area. Oh, yes. Like, Why aren't all cafes like this? <laughs> I know. It makes sense. Every cafe should have that. I would. I mean, that means I could go to cafes more, so I would be, I would be into that. I also feel like. All kids' parks should have a cafe oh, attached. Totally. Right? I feel like they would do a roaring mm, train. And an alcohol licence. Oh, yes, <laughs> yes, perfect. <laughs> um, yeah. Being a mother of two myself, I'm interested to talk to you about how you found the adjustment of going from one to two. As for me, yeah, it took me a, a good while to adjust. I feel like I'm sort of there now but, you know, still navigating through it. Yeah, it's so much more full on I look back at that time with one kid now and I go oh what a dream oh guys don't freak you out that's yeah, me not right freak now. you out so sorry <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I I love having two yeah. kids don't yeah. get me wrong I really really love it and it's so much easier in some ways than having one especially with this pandemic mm. I I I just feel like I really feel for my my friends with one kid because they have to entertain them the whole mm. time Whereas I just let the kids go and they just go off and play together mm. and it's amazing. I mean, Luna's still pretty young and very annoying yeah. to Sammy, but at <laughs> least with my she's kids. at least she's company, you know? Yeah. And and yeah, they fight a lot, but they also do play together sometimes and you can just leave them for a while and they're mm. fine. And that makes a huge difference. But yeah, it's a lot harder getting out the door. Oh my God, it takes forever to get anywhere. And, you know, they'll influence each other. They'll be naughty together and they'll kind of influence each other to both do something naughty so that it's harder for me to stop them both because they're doing it together <laughs> Cheeky. and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, so they team up. But it was really hard in the beginning before Luna could really talk and interact with Sammy because it was, you know, he would get jealous and act up. And oh, he wasn't too jealous actually. We We, we really tried hard to make him feel loved mm. um but there's always going to be that feeling of like oh well I wasn't enough for you so you had to go and get another kid yeah you know? right so there's there's always that kind of stuff to navigate it's a cliche but it's not like having another kid when you have a second kid it's like having two or three more kids because yeah. it's mm. so such it's a just change. so much more to yeah. handle my mum says that yeah. about the kids entertaining each other though she had six and she said once you know one was hard two was really hard but three four five six you know just made it oh, easier because they all entertain each other <laughs> well my older brother and sister like they literally would get me up in the morning get yeah, me dressed right? and feed me yep. breakfast and my parents could just sleep in mm. I mean 
can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. Um, so they were like a second set of parents to me and, and what a great kind of um, education for them, how to look after another little mm, human. So good. I asked my daughter what she was doing the other day and she's like, oh, nothing, mum, just getting a drink for Lulu and I and a snack. I was like, oh, okay, that's that's good. You go help Aww, yourself. That's great. That's so she's cute. like, Lulu's really thirsty. I'm like, perfect, you get her some water. <laughs> it doesn't always go like that. They, but, um, <laughs> Oh, that's adorable. I love it. I thought it was very funny. So sweet. Okay, so let's pretend we're not living through this global pandemic at the moment and things were a little bit more like how they used to be. What does making music and touring look like with a young family for you, Missy? So I toured with both kids not that long after Luna was born. We did a huge Aussie tour. I think she was about 12 weeks or something. And Oh my God, it was so bad. Yeah, God, just you saying that. <laughs> because she was still waking up all night to yeah. feed. So I was doing these big shows and then hardly getting any sleep. And we brought a nanny along for some of it and she got sick. Oh, we no. all got I'll... sick. I don't mean that she got sick first. I don't know who got first, but we all mm. got sick in this tiny hotel room and it was apocalyptic. Like I'm talking like full-on blown flu kind of sickness and everyone had fevers and I cancelled a show I think for the first time ever. And I remember I posted a video on my Instagram because I was like I felt so bad but I was so sick I couldn't even Mm. get out of bed. I was just like I've never done this before but I really am really sick. Did Luna get unwell as well? Yeah, she did. And she had like, she was covered in spots too. She had like hand, foot and mouth or something crazy. It was just, and she just had snot just streaming down her face and her eyes were just watering. Nothing worse for a tiny baby. Yeah. Oh, I know. And then at one point I accidentally locked her in the hotel room (laughs) and oh God. Oh dear. A memorable tour, it sounds like. Yeah, the actual tour was great and I think the shows were great and they were really fun and we were touring with John Butler and, yeah, hanging out with with him and his family in Margaret River was beautiful and there were some really, really lovely moments but then then it just – I think what happened is – we were all just hanging in there and then we all mm. got sick and then it was like, oh, my God, this is like the mm. world is ending. So don't recommend that <laughs> but – yeah, so the touring I've done since then, I've just left the kids yep. behind. And unless we've gone to, you know, unless there's been like one or two shows. And, I mean, I brought Luna to a couple of shows that I did in Tassie and my mum came with me and that kind of thing. But it's it's much easier if Dan can just mind the kids for a couple of nights while I mm. go and then I come back for a few days and then I go, you know, if I can do two or three shows a week and then just come back in between, that's heaps easier than, than taking them. And then I can, you know, let loose a bit and have a sleep in. I mean, it's really fun having kids on the road, but you need sleep. And if you don't get sleep, everything falls mm. apart. You know, you you get sick and you don't sing as well and yeah, so the only the only real way to do it is if you can is if you can bring help or something, I think. But then then you don't end up getting to see your kids much anyway because you're sleeping in and then you're going it to early sound mm. check and yeah, it's heaps easier I think if you can leave It's them. one thing juggling the kids like, you know, from a physical perspective like, you know, making sure they're okay, making sure they've got all the things, everything they need, but also like just 
mentally trying to separate your, you know, your work from your mum, I would imagine that, you know, if you're about to go on stage to perform and little Luna's Mm. sick, you know, it would be really hard for you to, you know, shift your focus. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was quite nice. Uh, I remember on that tour, Dan would stand side stage with Luna in the Ergo Baby on his front and she was right there with her little earmuffs on just, um, you know, just sleeping on his chest while he was jumping (laughs) up and down and dancing in front of the crowd. So that was really, that was really sweet and those are really nice memories. But it is a bit hard switching from performer mm. to mum, oh, but on the same at the same time, I think you are a performer as a mum. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but also I I get anxiety when I'm away from yeah. my kids, so it is nice to know that yeah. they're just there, yep. you know. Especially if they're backstage or in the audience, that gives me a very warm mm. and fuzzy feeling. Yeah. So you've got a new song coming out called "When the Machine Starts," which I believe you actually wrote during this Melbourne COVID lockdown. Can you tell us about mm. it and also how you're feeling about, you know, this time that we have all just spent being stuck at home? So I think the first lockdown was very different to the second in Victoria. I feel like the first lockdown, everyone was in this kind of, I don't know, almost excited place of like, wow, this is crazy. Isn't this crazy? Like, look what's going on in these other parts of the world. And now we have to go into lockdown too. And, you know, what are we going to do? How are we going to survive? And everyone was kind of a bit, you know, there was a, there was an energy in the air of like, how are we going to do this? Should we, uh, maybe I'll learn to bake bread or maybe I'll, you know, start doing online Pilates classes or like maybe I'll learn French. Mm. And I don't know, there was just a bit more of a positive vibe in the air. So true. That's, that's, yeah. You know, just a generalization. Obviously there was, there were a lot of people really struggling and people that were freaking out. And, but I know in my, my circle of, of friends that was like, Oh God, you know, that this means that I can't work. So what am I going to do? Because nobody thought it would last that long. Mm. I don't think so. They were a bit more excited about it. And then it just kind of kept going on and on and on. And then we got a bit of freedom and then that freedom got taken away for lockdown number two and everyone was a bit more down that time because I think people were kind of realising this could just go on and on, you know. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. (laughs) Yeah, and this was having serious consequences on people's financial situation Mm. and it was starting to get a little bit dire. So basically the song was written in the first Mm -hmm. lockdown in the middle of that feeling of like, wow, we get the chance to just stop right now and we get the chance to just be with our families all day every day and not have anything on the calendar like that was something that I'd never experienced before looking at my calendar mm. and going wow all of those things are cancelled yeah. crazy so there's literally nothing to look forward to and I don't mean that in a bad way it was like I had to be completely in the moment because Usually I'd be like, oh, okay, I've got to mentally kind of prepare for this tour coming up in November or, you know, we're going on holiday in July to Broome or there was none of that. So we didn't have any control all of a sudden over the future. So there was no choice but to just go, all right, I'm just going to be right here right now because that's Mm. all there is. I found that quite special and I found it quite special being completely present with mm. my kids which is what I'd always really wanted to be so that's basically what the song's about it's like 
what a beautiful opportunity this is and I wonder what it's going to be like when it all starts up again. Am I going to take the lessons that I've mm. learnt? Am I going to remember what I'm realising right now? So let's talk about our children mm. and our wonderful planet for a moment because since having a baby myself, I feel even more passionate about the impact that we're making and also, you know, the state of the planet that our kids are going to inherit. And you're an amazing advocate for a lot of environmental issues. So I'm hoping you could tell us a little bit more about your view on this and how it may have had changed when you had kids. I've always been pretty passionate about the environment and the importance of mm. protecting it. But I guess it stepped up a notch when I had kids because I suddenly realised I had brought another human into this world and they were going to inherit all the mm. mistakes that we're currently making. So, again, it's that burden of responsibility like, oh, God, I've got to do whatever I can to protect my kids' future. And Scary thought. It amazes <laughs> me. Yeah, it is. Mm. It's a scary thought and it amazes me that people in power who have kids and grandkids can make the selfish decisions and the short-sighted decisions that they're making at the moment without realising the impact that it's going to have on the future mm. generations of which they are yeah, related. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, it, it kind of blows my mind. Like how can you do that with a conscience? Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of greedy short-sightedness and small-mindedness involved in politics and there's a lot of responsibility palmed onto other people's you know like this is it's not my responsibility to do blah 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 you know we've got to look after jobs we've got to look after the economy but it's I don't know it's incredibly stupid really it's just it's it's looking after your it's looking after the now while completely neglecting the future mm, having kids. I feel the same so do I definitely so Missy what part of your life makes you feel the most fulfilled Oh, I guess parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's a tough question. It's funny though, because when I write, mm-hmm. yeah, because I mean, it's definitely music and parenting. We just kind of moved out to the bush, and when I see my kids playing out in the bush, and there's kangaroos and echidnas, how and good is that? Like stomping it's in amazing. puddles and just getting mm. in nature, I just feel so satisfied. Like I'm doing a really good job, and there's something deep down in me that just feels very, very gratified. But then when I'm right in the middle of writing a song and it's going really well and I finish a song and I feel like I've really captured the essence of what I was trying to capture, I feel so fulfilled and so Mm. proud of myself and I feel like the blood is flowing through me again. You know, I feel like I'm doing what I'm meant to be doing. I'm doing what I was put to do. And, yes, yeah, such an amazing feeling. So those two things make me feel the most fulfilled, I think, but in very different ways. Beautiful. So before we wrap up our chat for today, I would love to know what you do for yourself when you require a bit of, you know, time out or self-care, when you do get some time, which I'm sure is quite rare, but some time to yourself without the yeah. kids and... I've got to work on that. I'm not very good at self-care. <laughs> I tend to just clean the house and, I don't know, I'll listen to a podcast or I'll read a book. I mean, I love mm. reading and I and I love, I love pottering around and doing things while listening mm. to a podcast. Me too. The thing for me that I have at the end of the day is I have a really good read yeah. of a book and I just love that more than anything. Like that's just my the happiest place in the world is when I curl up in bed at the end and the kids are asleep and I can satisfying read. feeling 
Oh, yeah. so good. I mean, I don't really have any hobbies. That's a, if I can have a mm. bath and read a book, that's you, just like You're reading heaven. anything interesting at yeah. the moment? Yeah, I'm reading a book called The mm-hmm. Dutch House by Anne Patchett. It's really interesting. I mean, I, I just churn through books, mm, to be I'm honest. I'm jealous. I'm just... such a slow reader. <laughs> I'm trying, though. <laughs> I love it, but I just never, I don't do it enough. I really should. Well, it's mostly because I can't get to sleep without yeah. it, to be honest. I re- Because my brain just goes at 100 miles an hour during the day. I need I've really, it. I've gotten so used to it as a way to calm myself down and to slow mm. down my brain. So much so that even if I'm beyond exhausted, I have to pick up my book for like five, ten minutes before I can actually mm. close my eyes. So it's kind of a trigger yeah. for me now. But I'm, I'm working on it. I think I would like to find some way of nurturing mm, myself it's very important like yeah I mean I do really like having a cup of tea and just sitting in the garden and mm. listening to the birds and the leaves I think it's very hard to stop these days it's really really hard to just do nothing and I think that's going to be my new year's resolution is to learn how to just stop and listen mm, to the wind just be often. just be in the moment yeah it's very hard, so hard. hopefully mm. you might get a chance yeah. to do that now after we have finished chatting with you before Luna wakes up you might get to go sit in the garden and have a cup of tea yeah god she's due to wake up anyway (laughs) so we'll see how long Um, I get thank you so much for giving us your time today Missy we we really appreciate it and you're such a you know an iconic Australian artist and you're an inspiration to us both Mm -hmm. and yeah, it's just been really great chatting oh, and, thank you. and you know, I can say that we've both really loved it mm. and we hope to see you soon. Thank you so much. It's been really nice to chat. It's it's just rare to have interactions. Yeah. And how nice is it? What a treat. <laughs> with another human. Um, I know. Wow, I'm actually having a conversation with another person. Oh, no, we so really nice. appreciate it. You're such a legend and thanks for, you know, being so open and honest and generous with sharing all your stories today. No worries. I love talking about this stuff, so it's my pleasure. That was so lovely catching up with Missy. You can head to incommonprojects.com.au for the show notes and to learn more about Missy. Make sure you hit subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Talking In Common. And as always, thanks for listening.